0: Welcome to Braintrust Philanthropy, powered by Vitréo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Braintrust Philanthropy, powered by Vitréo. With this episode, we are launching the first of an ongoing series of one-to-one interviews with fundraisers whose impact on the profession has and remains profound. This series will be shared occasionally alongside our regular monthly podcast. We are planning to produce four of these special episodes in 2021. This is episode one, and it was recorded on Thursday, March 18th, 2021. Our guest was Andrea McManus. Andrea has been a practitioner, she has been a consultant, and she continues to serve the sector as a leader at the national and international levels. Andrea was the first Canadian to chair AFP internationally, and she was most recently made a Distinguished Fellow of AFP. Andrea will receive official recognition for this honour at its International Conference on Fundraising this June. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and the CEO of Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. Welcome to our first episode of Legends of Fundraising. It's time for the Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. With this episode, we are launching a new series in the Braintrust Philanthropy family. Welcome to episode one of Legends of Fundraising. This will be an ongoing series where we will be visiting with and interviewing fundraisers who are at the top of their profession. We will be hearing about how they got started, their journey as a fundraiser, and what they have to share in terms of lessons learned and observations made. I can think of no better fundraiser to launch this series than my friend and colleague, Andrew McManus. Andrea has been a professional fundraiser for over 35 years. She has been a practitioner. She has started and built a very successful consulting company, and she was the first Canadian to chair the International Board of the Association of Fundraising Professionals. And those are just a few of the highlights of Andrea's career. Andrea, welcome to our inaugural episode of Legends of Fundraising.
1: Thank you. I'd say I'm happy to to be here. It does make me feel old.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, that's not what it's meant to do. And it's certainly not a fun song, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have some fun with it. So, you know, it's always good to start in the beginning. And uh, you are a proud Prince Edward Islander. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but PEI or sounded funny. Um, so tell us a little bit about that growing up in PEI. I mean, is that you were, you were born in PEI, you grew up in PEI? Oh, yeah. Was there more to it? So tell, tell us a little bit about that and, um, and a little bit about your, your family and PEI.
1: Yeah, uh, yep. Yeah, I was uh, born in PEI. I'm, uh, one of seven children. Um, I'm, I'm the second oldest in my sibling lineup. Um, spent, uh, every, every year, uh, in the city of Charlottetown and every summer we would move to our, our family cottage, lock, stock and barrel, um, which was a whole three, three miles away. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it.
1: Uh, yeah, on the ocean, and uh, you know, I, I I moved out here um, over forty years over forty years ago, and um, well, actually, close to forty forty five years ago. And uh, my I always say that my claim to fame is I have never ever missed a summer in PEI.
0: Wow, that's commitment. Yeah. But uh, is it like a homing beacon? You just have to get there.
1: I have to get to the ocean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Now you, you actually, Yeah. Where yeah. is the cottage? There's a there's a special place. What's it called? Uh, Capic. C- Capic. It's
1: called Capic, and it's about it's three miles outside of Charlottetown on the um, <clears throat> south shore of PA.
0: Right. So it's on the mm-hmm. south shore. One of seven children. Yeah. Second oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, and and obviously you know that whole three miles to get out every. <laughs> And then never miss a- We
1: would come home from school. On our, our last day of school in June, my mother would be in the driveway. <clears throat> she would open the back door so we could put our books or whatever we had. Um, she would have had the moving truck over. We would pile in the car. And the only time we'd come back to town during the summer, we were allowed to go to the exhibition once in August. And other than that, we we're just barefoot and fancy, fancy free all summer long.
0: Oh, it sounds awesome! Yeah. I think it, I think yeah. it's such a great memory. Um, so so tell me, did you lived in Charlottetown and then? Yep. Okay, and went to school. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yep. t- tell us a bit about your mom. You, my mom. Yeah, your mom was a really important part of your life.
1: <coughs> yeah, I think. She was, I heard, yeah. I think she yeah. She, yeah. I, my mom was an amazing woman. She was the kind of person that people were drawn to she had a a big heart and um was, was just always just a really interesting i think my mom was one of the original super moms you know when i was growing up she she was a, uh, a nurse, she taught nursing, um, she raised seven kids. <laughs> uh, she made it look easy, but when I became a mother myself, I had numerous conversations with her, and I remember her saying once to me, oh, Andrea dear, you never heard me screaming in the bathroom.
2: <laughs> oh, so she made it look easy, but it was just as Oh hard.
1: yeah, 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 yeah. She passed away 15 years ago, she... Um, it was a really tough year. She, um, um, had terminal cancer the same year that I was, um, dealing with cancer and, and, uh, I was able to see her, um, you know, just about three weeks before she died. I was finally able to get there, um, once my own chemotherapy protocol had uh, come to an end. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know, you know, a yeah. day goes by. I don't think about her.
0: Now was it common at that time to have families of that size? Would it have been common in, in Princeton Island?
1: Yeah, no, we uh, lived on we, the street that we lived on there there were uh if I go down the row the number of kids were four, six, five, another seven. <laughs> <All
2: right.
1: laughs> and awesome. we, we 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 built a house <clears throat> when I was um that we moved into when I was six. And um <clears throat> all during my growing up years <clears throat> we were one of the first houses there. So there were always these construction sites and we would the, the weekends we would go on these house construction sites and we would build a fort out of the two by fours. Of course. And the workers would come back on Monday morning <laughs> and they'd take the fort down and we'd build it again the next sure. the next weekend. And <laughs> well, <that's
0: laughs> <there crazy>. were, <laughs> So, so we so weren't big, wearing
1: we weren't wearing helmets, so
0: I know for now, so big families are pretty pretty common. Yeah. Uh, well, I know i I, you know, I have heard you talk about, and I've heard some stories about your mother throughout time, and I know she was a huge influence on your life and mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we're thinking great thoughts about about her and and everything mm-hmm. like that. And that was a tough year fifteen years ago for you. Um, what about your dad? Your dad's still still in into- my dad's?
1: my dad's still. My dad's still doing great, actually. Yeah. Uh, He's, uh, he'll be 93 in, uh, in a couple of months. Yeah. Um, he just moved into a senior facility about two years ago. Um, and, uh, he's, he's still pretty with it, you know. He, he's, uh, he, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't have Any form of dementia. So we're really fortunate. I'm also fortunate that I have three siblings still on PEI Mm -hmm. and um you know they they um help him out. Yeah. Um he does have a ninety three year old brain. (laughs) For
2: sure. Uh,
1: uh, Yeah. Anything to do with uh Kepic where our where our family cottage is. Um I need any information about what happened in the past at Kepik and I my dad is a fountain of information. He can remember just about everything. So
0: right, so he's the resident historian in Kepik right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Right now yeah, so, he right? is.
0: Yeah. Well, and I know you get back to see him, and 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 you you keep in touch regularly with him, which is very mm-hmm. nice. Um, go ahead. You were going to say something.
1: I was. Um, I was just going to comment that <clears throat> one of the the actually the reason that I uh, moved into consulting <clears throat> eventually. Um, has everything to do with um, Kepik where our cottage is and um, I I wanted to, I wanted my kids to spend their summer, my daughters to spend their summers on the beach.
0: Right, Right. so you wanted flexibility.
1: I did, yeah. um, So, you know, in the mid-90s with the advent of the internet, (laughs) the World Wide Web, uh, (laughs) I, I was able, I could, we went from a party line to to a, a dedicated line so that I could do dial-up. That's
0: great. Well, I'm, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're going to, we're actually going to touch on that in a few minutes. That's a, a great segue to the next part. You said you moved, if I, if I'm, was it 45 years ago, more or less, did you moved West? Yep. yep. And what brought you West? Why did you come, did you come to Calgary?
1: I did. I came to Calgary. I, <clears throat> I was working as a um, paralegal. Oh. And um, I, i just wanted to go somewhere for a couple of years and a lot of my friends um that i grew up with you know they had moved to toronto and i really wasn't interested in going to toronto at the time uh, i have had i have relatives in calgary okay. uh an aunt and uncle and cousins that i would see every summer because they would come down to, to pei
2: yeah
1: <clears throat> and so i and uh, my my uncle was um uh was a lawyer here and um so i you know i I came to Calgary. I thought I'd be here for about two years, but
0: sure.
1: um it it captured me.
0: <laughs> right. So forty five I'm still years. an islander. <laughs> yeah, you're an islander, but you're also a Calgary. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And so you, you, you came here forty five years ago. You I didn't I didn't know that you had that paralegal, or if I did know, I'd forgotten. And mm-hmm. so you did you did you work in your in your uncle's life? I did.
1: I I worked for a couple of years. Um and then I went back to university and mm-hmm. um and then I moved into more of a marketing field.
0: Okay. Where did you go to university? U of C. U of C. Okay. So you went to the U of C and then you came. You moved into marketing. When when would you, when your first job in the sector and was it fundraising? In the nonprofit sector?
1: Um, no, it wasn't. Um, uh, so I had been, I had been working, um, in marketing with a high tech firm that was based out of Calgary, and uh, it grew really rapidly, and uh, and then it contracted really <laughs>
0: rapidly. <laughs> and so was this, in the, I, this would have been in the nineties, right? Was this the internet? Uh,
1: no, this was in the eighties.
0: Uh,
1: this, this was in the eighties. Yeah. Okay. okay. And so, um, so I survived about twelve rounds of layoffs before my number came up, and. Um, and that was in 1985 or six. Yeah. And um, and then I started working with the 1988 uh, Winter Olympic Committee, OCO '88, oh. in in marketing. Of course. And and actually, I was a, a sponsor liaison, and uh, so we had three sets of, of two people that we did everything. Um, for sponsors once the contracts were negotiated so we did ticketing we did hospitality we did sign off on all of their marketing materials we we did everything for our sponsors and so the sponsors that i was working with were the um global head offices of um coca-cola uh 3m visa royal bank and shell and um yeah. So, I mean, that was really exciting time. It must
0: have been just like every day working long hours, but exciting hours because Very. everything was yeah. going on. Yeah. You know, uh, head office of yeah. Coca-Cola is in Atlanta, head office of mm-hmm. 3M is in Minneapolis, Dallas, you've got Dell yeah. in, in, in the Netherlands, and you've got... Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been just super exciting. And, and layer yeah, on but- top of that, the Olympics. Calgary Olympics, like the fever must have been
1: crazy. Oh, it was, it was amazing. And, and, and I, I, you, I I guess you weren't in Calgary during the Olympics. No, I I um, wasn't.
0: I was in Alberta, but only, only seven years in. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so the way it worked was that OCO 88 had um, about a thousand employees, but 10,000 volunteers. Right. And, as soon as the game started the volunteers took over. Really ha- I really had nothing to do during the Olympics except go to events and I <laughs> I, I had tickets for a lot of the gold medal events. <laughs> wow, What was <laughs> so to be came. in. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was really exciting and uh you know and then uh, of course when the games were over we were all out of a job a month later so
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now did I I know that that our colleague and friend uh, and and close friend of yours, Vicky Cranenberg, was involved with the Olympics. Did Did you meet her there?
1: Yeah, that's how I met Vicky. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so
0: that's how you met the great Vicky Cranenberg uh, yeah. was then, because uh, so, so Vicky's claim to fame, and I don't want to uh, uh, overshadow anything here, but she uh, she she had the um, the vol- she has the volunteer outfit still, and uh, up till a few years ago, maybe even now, it's still fitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I've watched her at events where she'd come out and sort of, and like it's very eighties fashion and stuff like that.
1: What was, what was oh, the, very. Yeah. Yeah. What were the
0: mascots? Were they Heidi and Howdy? Heidi and Howdy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, yeah. that's, so that's great. So you're out of a job. You're in Calgary. Yeah. It's like the, you know, yeah. almost up to the nineties. What's going on? Yeah. with
1: um, Well, I, I was actually um, pregnant with um, um, my oldest daughter during the Olympics Right. And so, you know, back then in nineteen eighty eight, um, you didn't really you weren't really that horrible if you were pregnant.
0: <laughs> right. So not it's not that long ago, but it is that long ago. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we, we bought a house and we, we moved and then she was born in um the middle of August yeah. of nineteen eighty eight. And, um, then that fall, later that fall, I, um, got a call from a friend of mine who was, um, chair of the board, I think, or on the board of, uh, Calgary Handybus Association. All right. And, and, um, and she basically said, Andrea, you know how to raise money from corporations. Can you come and help us out on a contract? Ah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I don't really, but sure. <laughs> I can do that. I'll
0: I'll, I'll take the job <laughs> and take it till I make it kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, um so that was my entry into the fundraising profession. And I, I eventually um went on as um as a director there full time. Um and uh but yeah with Calgary Handy Bus. Well
0: mm-hmm. lots of lots of uh fundraisers both within Calgary and outside of Calgary have had uh, an intersection with Calgary Handy Bus. It's, it's
1: mm-hmm.
0: really organization. Yeah. So, so yeah. you kind of, you kind of jumped into that. You got a job. Uh, you mm-hmm. can raise money because you were doing it in sponsorships, right?
2: Sure. How
0: did, was, how did you know that, how did the chair of the board know you? How did you?
1: Oh, uh, the personal friends. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, you know, cause there were, you would have had a ton of connections during the yeah. election. For sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. we've been personal friends and, and, uh, politically active together and knew them very, knew her very well. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So you've got a young daughter, you've got a job uh, you're, you're learning as you go, but you've got lots of, of, of moxie and experience with the, with the sponsorship. So, and eventually, came, went up to be director. When did you start making decisions or what were, did you have another experience in the nonprofit sector before you started consulting? What was your, your track? To-
1: yeah. I, I stayed with Handybus for a couple of years. And uh, then I uh, moved to the old grace hospital. Oh, right. Yeah. Salvation it's early, it's early yeah. Okay. And I, I was, I was director of the grace hospital foundation. Um, uh, and then um prior to moving to the grace, I'd had, um, my twin daughters. So I had very quickly after my first daughter. Um, and so I had three, you know, three very young daughters. And, um, so I was, I was at the grace for, uh, two or three years. And then, um, I got fired.
0: Oh, well, before we get there, just before we get there, because that's a nice inflection point or not, yeah, uh, yeah. depending on how you look at it through the lens of time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but uh, for those of us, even for the, for the like, Calgarians of a certain era know what you're talking about when you say the old grace. Um, mm-hmm. Some Calgarians of today's era might not, and certainly people who are listening to the podcast might not know its history. So it, what did it become, the old grace? What's it associated with today, or is it not there at all?
1: Uh, no, it's still there. Um...
0: Is it the Rocky View?
1: No, 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 no. It's down in Hillhurst.
0: Okay, so uh, it's, not, it's it's not it's, it's the old.
1: I, I believe it's a clinic uh, of oh, some sort. And
0: yeah, so it's evolved into one of our new modern sort of clinics at that. Yeah, it
1: yeah. It, it was actually it was a into the. It was closed because of the restructuring around oh, okay. healthcare. Okay. The first restructuring around healthcare in Alberta
0: right so but Um, but it was it was a full-fledged hospital though wasn't it
1: yes and and
0: did it have a specialty like would people have it was a maternity
1: obstetrics it was a woman's hospital it was a women's hospital
0: Oh, okay yeah because i i've heard stuff about it but i wasn't really sure
1: yeah
0: okay so you kind of dropped a grenade into that conversation (laughs) dropped those back and the grenade got fired
1: (laughs) <laughs> we were doing a uh campaign a 5 million dollar uh campaign um capital campaign and um the i had a um an increasingly tr- troubled relationship with the chair of the hospital board right not the chair of the foundation board and mm-hmm. um that that person um made public some information about donors that we didn't have permission to make public oh and i wrote a letter to the foundation chair board outlining my concerns about that um knowing what would probably happen and i I was i was let go without cause right um and you know it was kind of shocking um but it really shaped the rest of my uh, career, I think, and, and my approach. Um, you know, I consciously made that decision. Um, I felt I was in a, 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 an ethical bind, um, had to, you know, do some research, uh, figure out how to handle it. And this was, we had just started the Calgary chapter of AFP, <clears throat> I think maybe a year before. You're or one we of the, were just, or we were just doing it then even. I You're I, one
0: I, of the founding founding yeah. members of the of yeah. the PFP Calgary chapter, yeah. right? So yeah. okay.
1: Yeah. So I took I took um about eight months off, um, just to kind of, you know, it was in the middle of February. And so I thought, well, I'll enjoy the spring and I'll take the girls to PEI for an extended period in the summer. Sure. And um and came back and uh, I had um, said to my husband at the time that, uh, you know, I really wanted us to think about moving. He was from the Ottawa area and, I you know, I had relatives out here, but I didn't have any close family and I wanted my kids to grow up on the beach and a lot of them to know their <clears throat> grandparents and their aunts and uncles and their cousins and, and he really wasn't interested in moving. So the deal we made was that uh, I was going to change the way I work and I was going to take the girls to um, the East coast every summer. And I wasn't going to, we weren't going to argue about what we were going to do with our holidays and he could come if he wanted. He was yeah, welcome to come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and as I said, that's was the advent of the internet. So I started doing some contract work. Um, and um, and here we are today.
0: <laughs> well, well, so was was that was that the beginning of the development group, or was there something before the?
1: Development group? Um, no, no. Actually, that's kind of a funny story too. Um, how things happen. I did some contract work on my own. Uh, one of my very early clients actually was the Bamp Center, who I'm doing a lot of work with now. With right, the trail. yeah, the world circles. Yeah. so I did a number of contracts, and I kept. Um, I had worked with. Um, When I was at the Olympics, I had worked um, with a very lovely person who was the key person from Shell, Elaine Prue.
0: Yes. I I Um, know you've mentioned (laughs) Elaine before, but I didn't know that it was connected to Shell. That's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she she had been seconded from their community. She had headed up um, Shell's community relations department and was seconded to the Olympic project. And so, when the Olympics were over for her, her job wasn't there, but they seconded her to Alberta theater projects, and she built Alberta theater projects um, program and then she started consulting on her own right and so right. I would get a call from somebody who would and I would say, "No, I'm sorry, I, you know I cannot take on any more work right now. I suggest you call Elaine Prue and she would do the same thing and finally, one day, I don't know, one of us one of us um, said that to somebody, and they said well, she just gave me your name. <laughs> you
2: know? Right, right, so, right.
1: So we had we Elaine and I had lunch or a glass of wine or something, and we decided to throw our lot in together, and that was the that was the start of the development group.
0: Okay, so you and Elaine were the beginnings of the development group.
1: Yeah, we had a, a third partner. who yeah but that didn't work
0: out no totally. but you, but that that those are the beginnings of that and that was yep. also sort of at the beginnings of the internet uh mm-hmm. you were able to go to pei you're able to yeah. do what you need to do to make your family that's one of the great things about consulting yeah. um so what if you had to think back through the development group and this i don't want to put you on the spot what were some of the highlights or milestones that you would would have seen with your work with the development group some of the big clients you took on some of the oh work.
1: gosh well i would say the um i mean the the obvious the obvious front runner from well two i guess uh, there, there would have been two we we did a lot of work with bull valley college
2: yeah
1: Also uh, working with now yeah um uh we'll when they first became an independent um post-secondary yeah uh yeah. And um, actually we recruited Vicki Cranenberg to come and work with us and, and head up the Bow Valley College file but I would oh, it
0: was on the one of the first engagements with the Bow Valley College because I know that she yes. was on a later engagement.
1: Yeah. We and then, had multiple engagements there.
0: Oh yeah. my yeah
1: yeah. Um, so and that was so that was really exciting because they were just Starting, it was all new for them. They had a new name, you know, a new board, like all of that. That's right. And then, I, you know, that certainly for me more personally was my work with Resolve, um, which went from being a, um, a building a development plan to um, a collaborative initiative um, to raise $120 million with nine social service organizations for affordable housing.
0: Right. Um, That's the resolve campaign to end, well, not to end homelessness, but uh, the homeless campaign. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, that was a, I continued, I worked with them from 2010 right through to 2000 and 18,
0: yeah.
1: uh, brought them into when we formed the trail.
0: Yeah. You're, you're um, absolutely, you were, you were central to that entire campaign. And yeah, that council. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was an amazing experience. And, and, uh, you know, I can remember when we, when we pitched the idea to the Calgary homeless foundation about possibly doing something of a collaborative nature, I did, you know, I a, had a pretty uh, wide network through my, AFP connections and uh, I I reached out to a lot of people to see if I could find anything about a similar kind of project that we could learn from.
2: Sure.
1: And uh, you know what? What I got mostly was no. But if you do something, let us know. Sounds yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a great idea. We can learn from it. But, <laughs> but otherwise, we got to
1: yeah, it. yeah. So we we pretty much built that from scratch, right? To bringing mm-hmm. the uh, initial partner group together to. Um, building the campaign plan to providing counsel over a number of years. I did a year on site with them. Um, uh, managing the, the actual fundraisers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, we did, it was pretty, pretty interesting project.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Now, just before we leave the Bow Valley College one, though, you said it was just after they got a new name, because I think they used to be known as Alberta Vocational College, right? right. Yeah, and, and there was one in Edmonton now, NorQuest, yeah. and one in Calgary, yeah. uh, and it was north and south like a usual sort Yeah. Of, yeah. So right. I didn't realize that that you were involved right around that time. That would have been so exciting mm-hmm. for them and for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, resolve. You have also did stuff with. Is it still called Winsport? I don't think it is.
1: Yes. No. No. Winsport. Uh, actually, it became Winsport when. Sorry, we were, it was the other way yeah.
0: around. It was called something, what was yeah. it called?
1: It before? was it was Coda. Coda. Calgary Olympic Development Authority and Canada right. Olympic Park, yeah, and uh, we came in to they were looking at uh, possibly raising hundred million dollars to uh, maintain their facilities. Um, we were on site with them again, that was Vicky uh, <laughs> with yeah. the, We were on site with them for about a year um, yeah. and during that time you know we had made a recommendation to them that they really needed to change their name because hanging over the the pro, the ability their ability to raise money was the fact that they were the recipient organization for the legacy funds from and um from the from the 88 olympics right and so the perception was that they had a lot of money which of actually course. they yeah, so why give them more if they've got, got all the money yeah so that culminated in a name change to Winsport.
0: Okay, so you were involved in that process. Yep. Well on yeah. yeah, So CODA sure, yeah. became Windsport. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Now, now yeah. the development group was a was, was in place for what eighteen or twenty years. Is
1: that- uh, yeah, I think we were incorporated in nineteen ninety six or. Okay,
0: so yeah, so yeah, yeah so ninety six, yeah. yeah, two thousand. Yeah. So so yeah. you were you were a long-standing firm. Um, there's not that many firms in Canada, as it turns out, of that size. And you've had a lot of folks who've kind of worked with or around you. You talked about Elaine um mm-hmm. you know uh uh michelle regal of course was with mm-hmm. you for a long time and she went off to to tell a spark and other things yeah vicky crannon who, who were some of the other folks that, that sort of wandered through your, your <laughs>
1: and,
0: and were off doing
1: yeah well elaine uh, elaine retired after five years and uh I knew she was going to, to do, she had always planned to do that. And, uh, you know, I thought about getting another partner and, and then I thought, oh, I had such a good partnership with Elaine. I would just be expecting them to be like Elaine. And so I thought, well, I'll just, I'm going to do this on my own for a while. Um, and I just, I just stayed doing it on my, uh, doing it on my own. But uh, Mick Malloy was yeah. a long time. T.D. Jeer, Kelly Morris worked yeah. with me for many years.
0: Candice Nealin.
1: Gantz Nalen, Cheryl Hamlin.
0: Oh, yeah, Cheryl Hamlin, probably maybe even a couple times.
1: Yeah, right? actually, I, I hired, uh, Cheryl was my first hire in my first job at Calgary Handy Bus.
0: Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. That is so interesting. Both of you, of course, uh, have been appointed as a, a outstanding fundraisers in Calgary. Yeah. Both of you. So so that's a real feather in in both of your caps and everything okay. else. So that's Cheryl. Um, yeah uh, others uh, I, and I we always run the risk when I ask this question that we're going to forget somebody so yeah
1: I know <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll, I'll take the blame for that uh, because Andrea didn't know I was going to ask her that so but I, but I do know that there's so many people that have been impacted or mentored by or involved with your work at TDG or with you and the associates so um, that sort of leads into the next piece and you kind of alluded to it you've talked about it a little bit um, you know, as I shared in the intro, you you rose through the AFP ranks, the Association of Funders and Professional Ranks to become chair of our professional body. I'm curious, and our listeners are curious, I think, about how did that start? Um, what brought you like you 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 were one of the founders for the AFP Calgary chapter. Maybe that's where it started, but help us understand your path through those uh that leadership body um to the yeah. point where you actually became the chair.
1: So when I first started working at Calgary Handy Bus, I thought you know, there have to be other people doing this kind of work. <laughs> and I, I went on a mission to find other people. And <clears throat> I connected with a few people and we started doing these brown bag lunches. We just meet in somebody's boardroom. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we would talk what we were doing and share trade secrets and all of that. And, uh, that eventually resulted in, um, um a group of us coming together and we initially started a chapter of the Canadian Society of Fundraising Executives.
0: Right. Uh, As opposed to that, the NSFRE, which is the National Society. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that but that organization went under after about a year. So mm. we we moved to what was then um NSFRE, yeah. um, which then became AFP.
2: Yeah.
1: And at the time there were I can remember Laurie Gustorf uh, yeah. coming up to Calgary. Yeah, <laughs> in January. Yeah, the, the next Lori we
0: who we still work with today. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah for sure. And um, so there, I think there were maybe four or maybe five at the most chapters in Canada at the time. And then we, so then we started to get together as Canadian chapters, and we formed a president's council, which I agreed to chair.
2: Yeah,
1: and. <clears throat> then we became more uh active in the in the what was then the American organization
0: yeah but before uh, before we go there i'm going to put a little pause in there cuz you, you you i know we can come back to it but you talked about uh, getting chapters together was that mm-hmm. the time when we first when we when we had our first for lack of a better term canadian leaders retreat or leadership retreat did we have that in that time or was that after
1: it it was the pre it was the pre it was just the presidents of the chapters getting together, okay. um, and then that that became morphed into the annual uh, right. leadership retreat. Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: Because I, I and the first one of those was in was it in Calgary? No, it wasn't in Calgary.
1: The first one was in.
0: Because um, I remember going to one in Vancouver. Um, yeah. um days in Vancouver. We're all crammed into one small room. Uh, you know, it, it was very uh university college like, but I thought there was one before yeah. that. I feel like that was the second one. Anyway, we don't have to yeah. go down the memory lane too much. I interrupted your flow where we were getting involved with what was then a a, a very American um yeah. uh, uh
1: and so then you know AFP was back in the days when we still had de- delegate assemblies in the fall, which is now AFP lead. Um <clears throat> We, um, they, they went through a name change, um, which was very timely, uh, um, that we were growing chapters in Canada. Um, we were a very vocal group from Canada.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember I, I, I was not in the center with you, but I was involved in the periphery at that time and we were quite vocal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I um I chaired the what became the AFP Canada uh, Council, and we also established um, I worked very closely with Jason Lee, who, who was uh uh counsel for AFP Global um, to establish the Canadian Foundation, and I was the first chair of the Canadian Foundation, and I had been asked to um join the AFP board to represent Canada. So I, that was probably, I don't know, two thousand.
0: Yeah. Um, Ish. Yeah.
1: Around around then. Yeah. And so I was only on the board actually for a year, and um, I got a call from Steve Batson, who wanted me to um, do the um, vice chair of professional uh, professional advancement.
0: Right. So and, Steve, uh, Steve asked you to do that, the great Steve Batson.
1: Yeah, actually, Vice Chair of External Relations. Okay, Vice
0: Chair of External Relations. Yeah.
1: And I actually said no.
0: Right. Why? Why did you say no?
1: <clears throat> because I um, I felt I, I'd only been on the board for a year, and I, I didn't feel like I was experienced enough.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: and then Steve put a full court press on.
0: <laughs> yeah. As as he was known to do.
1: Yeah. And I got calls from a couple of other people, and so I, I finally... Said, okay, well, all right. <laughs> and uh yeah, so I I had been and in the meantime I had been on a whole raft of, you know, working groups and committees sure. and had had just and it was it was just great. I mean, it was you know, I was part of a a an emerging profession really and something that was building in Canada. And I mean you I think one of the reasons why I've stayed in consulting as long as as I have is you know, I began to realize that I I really like to build things um I I really like to change things up I like to identify potential and opportunities and 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 strategize with how to achieve that um I'm not as good with detail and status quo <laughs> I
0: I I'm not saying anything
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you, yeah
0: anyone yeah. who knows you would know that that, that 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 that's not where your brain goes but yeah. um but 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 i don't know how you feel andrea but my experience with that level of people the the, the quality and caliber of person that 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 sits at that level or or steps into that role or it, it's quite extraordinary Um, the level of thinking that happens, the, the level of the ethical decision-making. I don't know if you found that, but I found that at that level.
1: Yep. Yep. And I have just loved this profession. Um, I, I, from the very beginning, I found it um, very sharing, very collegial. It's, it's as if we were all working together to build the profession and build the capacity of the profession and, and define it in people's minds. And so even when I became a consultant, I could still phone somebody and say, oh, you know, I'm working on this. Have you you done anything like this and anything you can share? And I I just found that very supportive. Um, And yeah, I'm just grateful that I kind of fell into it. got that call that day and-
0: Yeah, And, and so you stepped up to the executive level of the AFP Global Board as a yep. vice chair of external relations, right? You were mm-hmm. you were you were you were not super convinced, but Steve put on a full court press <laughs> and convinced you. and then of course you blossomed in that role. So tell us yeah. more. Where where did that take you? What happened from there?
1: Um well I that that was a two year stint and then I was vice chair of professional advancement um for two years and I I had put my name in as for chair elect somewhere along the way there um i i didn't get it first time but i did eventually um uh i w- and i was on a num- uh i i chaired the strategic planning group one year i was on the governance review task force which was work we did in 2005 i i just had so many opportunities to engage in work that was inspiring and um exciting and challenging um so you know i was just really really committed um eventually i i got the nod as as chair elect um i was really excited uh about that um i was really proud to be the first non-american Chair,
0: yes, we are um, all proud of that. The whole we <laughs> proud of that.
1: Really I fun. had great support <laughs> from from Canada, and uh, and by that time, you know, I started working also internationally with AFP, so a- attending various conferences, chap- we had chapters in
0: various parts of the world. Um, you did a bit I, of a world tour, didn't you?
1: Well, I, I, I um, that was the first time I went to Australia, and. Visited Hong Kong, um, did some some work with our chapter in, in Egypt. Um, got to the Netherlands, the UK um, had lots of um, you know crossover with um, sort of sister organizations, like Resource Alliance and um, the Fundraising Institute in the UK, <clears throat> and um, was involved. Mostly as an observer, but in uh, you know in, in the establishment or the drafting of the international statement of uh, ethical principles. Um, so yeah, it was uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was it was really really great work, really expanding your my horizons. So
0: so you who would have been the chair that you followed, and who was the chair that followed you?
1: I followed Robbie Healy
0: right? The great Dr. We, Robbie? We,
1: we were, Robbie and I were the first. Uh, we were... T- <laughs> we, we dubbed ourselves Team Estrogen.
0: Oh, we, I I, see, I think I have a pen that says Team
1: Estrogen. We were the first uh, female chair and chair elect. So, oh, my. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Bob Carter followed me.
0: Okay. <clears throat> so That's
1: I nice. was surrounded by really great experience and and I really I I used I, I reached out to both of them frequently for for advice and um and of course um in my first uh year as chair um uh, we had a transition from longtime CEO Paulette Mahara to Andrew Watt. Right. Um and so I I sort of oversaw that and right. uh developed a very close relationship with Andrew. We right. worked really well together. Yeah. Yeah, well,
0: that was going to be my next question. So we talked about the chairs that you followed and, and the, those that followed you. Um, but I was also curious about the the CEO, and you just answered that with Paulette and Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so um, you know, one of the things I've observed and uh and I think it's really quite special is um Uh, there's a relationship with everyone you work with at that level at AFP, but there's a special relationship. I feel like this thread of continuity that runs between all of the chairs, you know, from.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think that's true.
0: Right. I I feel (laughs) like that. there's almost an informal sounding board amongst chairs that have stepped to that level. You've all had that experience. You've done the two years of chair elect, whatever the times it's a Mm -hmm. long, it's a long stint. Right. Mm -hmm. So. So, um, mm-hmm. anyways, so on behalf of the profession, thank you for, for doing that. We were so uh-huh. very proud of that. Um, so that, that it, it, it has been and remains quite the journey you've had as a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what's going on in your life right now, though, you, you can step out of the professional. I know you've had some really <laughs> cool things happen. Um, you know, what, 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 what's going on in your life? Uh, what's really exciting yeah. and what do you hope to be doing?
1: Well, her name is Iris <laughs> Quinn Curry.
0: Ah, her name is Iris, <laughs> and Quinn
1: she Curry. is almost seven weeks old.
0: Oh my gosh! So you've just um, been a grandmother, a uh,
1: grandchild, and ah. uh, sadly, she's in Australia.
0: Oh my gosh! <laughs> to have to be a grandparent in a different continent during COVID, uh, it's, I can't imagine. I, I,
1: I seem to know several other people in the same boat, and I think we're sort of forming a support group that we. I I probably won't get to meet her until the end of this calendar year, but uh, thank God for FaceTime and, and all of that. So I, I see her every two days. (laughs) I I just pop in for a quick look and
2: she's starting to become
1: more alert and uh, um, move around a bit and holding her head up. And uh, I'm, shopping for clothes online. Well, I was about to forward.
0: say I, I imagine that you're spending um a fair amount of time with Amazon or whoever delivers mm-hmm. in Australia. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Not, not really Amazon. Amazon I have, have dis- discovered is not very big in Australia.
0: Okay, what is big? Is it the is it the Alibabas or something else?
1: Um it's mostly Australian companies. Okay, so, so for example, what um one of the things that my um my other two daughters and I and um my my ex-husband her her grandfather um we've we have got we have gone together and um we are um we're buying a bookcase but also we're sending her a book every month and we're going to do that until she's five years old
0: oh that's great
1: yeah yeah so the second book i ordered from amazon and it took six weeks to get there. Oh,
0: God. Okay. Well, you got We got to find a different solution, right? So, that's so a, I,
1: the, the third book I just ordered yesterday and uh, I ordered it from a place in
0: Australia. So, that's good.
1: so yeah. So, so.
0: So what are they? What are, what are you being called? Are you are you Nana? Are you Grandma? No, you? I'm Gigi. Okay. So what is what Gigi? What's why Gigi? What's what what brought you to that?
1: You know what? I just googled modern grandmother names,
0: uh-huh. and that was one that <laughs> I didn't want to
1: be. I didn't want to be Grammy or Gram yep. or you know. Um, So I just I just googled it and looked up a list of names and decided I liked Gigi.
0: Oh, we love it! It's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, congratulations on that, uh, Gigi. Yeah. Um, tell us about your. You have three daughters. I do. All all, all have left the nest and are out into the world. Uh, tell us a little bit about what they're doing and where they are, because. You, you do have a rather unique uh, uh, family relationship or arrangement yeah. right now.
1: Out in the world is is an understatement. Uh, so my my oldest daughter uh, moved to Australia uh, two and a half years ago um, with her longtime Australian partner. In,
0: that's like, Sydney, uh, right?
1: That's Sydney, and they live south of Melbourne, and yeah. and, uh, and uh, he's he's from that area. So um, and then my uh, I have identical twin daughters. Um, it, it, one lives in London, England, and one lives in uh, Brooklyn, New York.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! So you got you've got daughters in three continents. Three right?
1: continents, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what type? Yeah, of, go ahead. We have a weekly Zoom call that we started as soon as the pandemic broke. Yeah. Uh, um, every Tuesday afternoon, we have a, a weekly Zoom call between all of us, um, and, and with my ex-husband as well, and yeah. now yeah. virus, <laughs> and uh, um. That's My daughter from the UK was, was over at Christmas. They ended up, they were here for three, three months, actually not, they came twice to um, Calgary for two weeks, but other than that, I haven't, I've only seen, i seen them, you know, on FaceTime. So, right. it's, yeah.
0: Well, I, I know yeah. this as, as, uh, as, uh, you know, having work I work with you every day is, is uh, you're very protective of that time. And I admire that. Um mm-hmm. it, you know, it, 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 client engagements, uh, uh, work engagements, but protecting that time on Zoom is really important to you and and you can see why I mean, you've got their spread all over. You haven't seen them in a long time. yeah, um, and, and and trying to get those time zones to work isn't easy. Right?
1: No, I, I spend a lot of time, like just this past weekend, I had to do it again. There's a you know, I, I use a time zone converter on
0: right, um, of course. <laughs> yeah,
1: just to calculate. yeah, yeah, and it's very limited because getting something that works in Australia, and works in the UK is challenging.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: the what, very what, narrow window.
0: <laughs> what time is it in Australia when you normally do your Zoom call here in the afternoons on on uh, on Tuesdays?
1: Uh 7:15 in 7:15, the morning. 7:15. We do at the, 2:15 oh. here, so it's 7:15 in the morning in Australia. And right now that would be 8:15 p.m. in the UK. Right. The problem is that all three countries change times times at a different time.
0: Oh, good. So you yeah. need a calculator. You might even yeah. have to have you know a specialist on call.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but now that my daughter's on that leave, it's a little bit more. It's a little bit easier. Um, and she's right. up and with the baby.
0: So right. Yeah. Um, yeah. your your daughters that are in New York and London, what are they doing?
1: Um my daughter in New York is an attorney by profession um but she she works um she and her partner are both entrepreneurs and they they dabble in a, a All number kinds of, of different things projects and uh, do a lot of work both of them do a lot of work in the social justice area as well Okay um and my daughter in uh London um works for a fairly new uh group. It's an online um art collection um art collecting and purchasing um outfit.
0: How interesting. But yeah. she's getting a real learning experience. That's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now
0: a- Andrea, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you for some of your learnings in a few minutes uh, that mm. you that you'd want to share with with our listeners and uh, and so forth. But just before I do that, and if you want to share, you don't have to share. But what are your yeah, you have, do you have plans? Do you have plans over the next couple of years. What are your thoughts? Are you are you are you still go to PEI? um
1: yeah
0: uh, yeah will, um will you ever retire there is that where you'll retire when I,
1: yes i will yeah i i bought my dad's house a couple of years ago and okay. uh my plan is to move back there um probably in the next couple of years um i need to do some renovations but uh, i can work i i don't see myself retiring
0: no and i i'm, I'm using quotation marks yeah around. yeah
1: um and if anything you know we can work from anywhere so um so that's yeah. I think that's uh, what my plan will be. I'd like to just probably spend my winters because it's summer there in Australia. Yeah. You know, I won't be going south. I'll be going. Yeah, I'll be going west and south. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's yeah. great. So you'll be yeah. able to go there. Yeah, nice yeah. Today. So yeah.
0: Well, I look forward to when you're able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know. Thank you for time taking the time to visit with us and being our first guest on oh. Legends of Fundraising series. But before we wrap up, I'm wondering if you could share. What advice you'd give to up and coming fundraisers and and the profession in general?
1: You know, I, yeah, I when when you are chair of AFP, um, you you get to pick a, a topic that um, you kind of you want to speak to when you you do a lot of chapter uh, visits and things like that. And um, so I had already prior to becoming chair had started to do a, a fair. Amount of work and research around what was then a very emerging um, discussion about philanthropic culture, and so I kind of made my theme for my two years as chair the difference between fundraising and philanthropy. And if there was one thing I I wish I had realized at the beginning of my career it would be that it would be the difference between fundraising and philanthropy. And, you know, I would ask a group of fundraisers what the difference is. And a lot of times they, they want not do the same thing and they're not, and it's a, it's a subtle nuance, but it's extremely important. I think distinction, I think as fundraisers, when we're in our offices and working with our teams, yes, we should be talking about fundraising. But when we're outward facing and we're talking, we're working with volunteers and boards and, and even other people in our organizations, we should be talking more about philanthropy. About philanthropic revenues as opposed to fundraising revenues. Um, Because philanthropy is the, is the outcome of what we do as fundraisers. And, you know, fundraising just, if you think about those two words, fundraising and philanthropy, philanthropy is a much more warm and cozy, friendly, comfortable word than fundraising for for many people Um, so i really try to do that in my practice i really try to focus on philanthropic results and um in, in how i talk about it how i write about it um how i communicate it and how i think about it so i you know that that was um that was that was a pretty essential realization for me many years ago, but um one that I'm glad that I that I had.
0: Well, that's that's been the theme of every conversation we've almost ever had. Um mm-hmm. has been uh that they're they are different and we need to look at them differently. Um mm-hmm. not 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 good, not bad, but differently. And I love your characterization of philanthropies, the external um, you know, projection of that. And then our office, yes, fundraising's fine. And and you're right. Philanthropy is a much more human word than the yeah. technical word of fundraising. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you for that big idea and for reminding us about that. Are there, is there anything else that you want to share before we we come to a close? And I, i let you get on with your day. <laughs>
1: um, I, I think that uh, we're in a time of, um, of, of great change. Uh, I, I've often, uh, since COVID started, uh, I've drawn an analogy to my time with the Olympics, and 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 what I think is, I, I well, I, I think we see happening coming out of through COVID. Uh, when the Olympics were over, we, we had a, a um, there were, there was a very well known phenomenon that had uh, emerged in past games <clears throat> where. You went. It was such an exciting, such a uh, intense period, and then the last day of the games, it was like falling off the cliff. And particularly after the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Olympics in 1984, a lot of staff had and volunteers really struggled with the mental health effects of that. It, it was, all, you know, I've heard it characterized as similar to PTSD. Right. And so what we, what they found was that, and, and I saw this with my, my colleagues at OCO 88, people made life changing decisions. Um, they changed careers or they got divorced or they got married or they decided to have kids when they had never going to have kids. And, you know, really a lot of life changing decisions. And I have said from the beginning of the pandemic that I think that I, I think that's going to happen coming out of this. And I'm I'm certainly seeing that in in you know my circle and and my world, um, for a variety of reasons. It's focusing in on what's really important. It's it's realizing that we don't need to be doing certain things that we can do other things. It's it's a whole host of reasons. But I think philanthropy is going to change, and I think it. it well, I would say it's. I would always have said it's going to change. But I think that that is going to be accelerated coming out of coming out of the pandemic. I don't know how, but I think as fundraisers, we need to be paying attention and trying to be out in front of that. Uh, I think it's going to, it it, it is going to have an, ex- it has had an acceleration on online fundraising, that that that's happening faster. It's sped up, I guess. Um, but I think, I think it's exciting. And I think there'll be opportunities and we need to be, Present and thoughtful, and observant, and take it and see them coming, and take advantage of them.
0: Okay, another big idea and thought. Not, no surprise. The what's interesting in what you talked about, though, in the Olympics uh, scenario, um, as 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 much as it's a worldwide event, that particular phenomenon tends to be relatively localized to you know Los Angeles or to Calgary, the, to the volunteers involved. This is a global event. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the hangover or the PTSD like things or, or the opportunities are going to be quite, uh, dramatic because of that. So I th- I'm, I'm with you on that. And it might be the new age of philanthropy and we should be thinking about how that might be. Yeah. Yeah. Right? For sure. Well, so thank you for that thought. Andrea, it's been a real and rare pleasure. Andrea McManus, a living legend of fundraising. Thank you. With this, with that, with this gift of our first episode, Brain Trust Philanthropies, legend of fundraising series has been committed well that's a wrap for this episode of brain trust philanthropy i hope you'll join us next time when we will be visiting with the legendary bob carter until then take care stay safe and stay sane we look forward to talking with you soon brain trust philanthropy is powered by vitreo and is produced by katja asomanning and me vincent duckworth brain trust philanthropy is produced in beautiful downtown calgary alberta Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Vitreo Group. That's at sign V-I-T-R-E-O Group. You can listen and subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or by visiting our website, vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, and hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.